everyone. Welcome to our second power skills session. My name is Olivia Berkman. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with Alan Oppenheimer. We're going to talk about his book, Classroom to Career, and how to find the right mentor for you and your career goals, reverse mentorship, and some do's and don'ts for the first few weeks in a new job. Our next How I Got Here speaker will be the president and CEO of Judson Center, Lenora Hardy Foster, on April 19th. We'll talk about her many experiences with nonprofit organizations, her commitment to bettering the lives of children, adults, and families, and the challenges she's overcome along her career journey. So I hope you can join us for that. You can register for the session on the FEI Engage page. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Alan. Alan, thank you for joining us. Hi, Olivia. Glad to be here. Good. So I'm glad you're here too. Let's start with a little bit of background. I'd love to, um, if you could walk us through uh, a little bit about your career and um, tell us about kind of how you got to where you are. Okay. I graduated many, many years ago, back in 1976. Jimmy Carter was president. We had stagflation. That means there was uh, no growth, no jobs, and lots of inflation. So it was a very tough time. Um, I went to work for, for public accounting. I stayed there for about a year, and then I left to go work for J.C. Penney. I was with Penny for nine years. And while I was at JCPenney, I worked doing uh, internal audit work, compliance work for stores, the buying department, uh, accounting centers, and credit offices. Probably my most favorite assignment, I was uh, on the common area maintenance uh, group, and we did uh, mall audits. So if you're in a mall, you pay... um, the mall runs the, the, the mall and pays expenses to heat, clean, and repair, and then divide those expenses up over all the, the tenants. And so we would go in after the fact and uh, review their records, and it was a cost recovery audit. So it was always very confrontational. We always got money back. It was a lot of fun. I like that. Uh, after JCPenney, I knocked around a little bit, worked for Sally Beauty, Zale Corporation, and Neiman Marcus before I found a home at Tuesday morning. Uh, at Tuesday morning, I was there for 12 years, and uh, that was a, a wonderful experience. And uh, while I was there, uh, we did a bank deal. We took the company private. 18 months later, we took it public. Uh, we intal- installed two accounting systems. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, it's another one of those companies that's kind of fallen on hard times, but uh, it had its day in the sun and did very, very well. So I've been doing con- some contract work and decided uh, at some point that enough of that and decided to write a book. So, and I'm lo- so looking forward to talking about the book. Um, somebody said to me recently that auditing is a lot like being a detective and it, it kind of hearing you, the way you talk about it, um, that kind of reminded me of that. So I want to know, so. yeah, I want to know, um, let's talk about the book. So the, the book is called Classroom to Career and tell me a little bit about why you decided to write the book in the first place. Happy to do that. But before I do that, can I talk about being a detective? 
<laughs> I did course. some. Uh, I did some uh, um, some contract work where we did uh, due diligence, and so you're looking for things that are not on the records, and so this part of being a detective, and so um, th- there was a, a movie company that was being sold to another movie company, and. Uh, what, what, what we found was that the owner of the company had a son who was in the movie business and had co-signed a lease for his son to run a movie theater. And, uh, you know, if they hadn't found that, the new owner would have been responsible for that lease as well. So we found that and they were able to get. So anyway, that was kind of a detective type of, of, of issue. So anyway, you asked about the book. Um why did I decide to write a book? Um, we were coming up on a big high school reunion and I suggested to my classmates, Hey, uh, why don't we take all the things that we've learned over our past you know, years in the workplace and uh, put together a notebook and give to each one of the graduating seniors. Seemed like a really good idea. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do that. So uh, I decided, well, I think I'll just write this book myself. Had a lot of colleagues in the Dallas area. They, um, Made, uh, they provided some information and lots of topics, and so we came up with the book, and uh, it's now in the second edition. And 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 I, I think the kind of the, the, the neat thing about this book is, uh, you know, if you're transitioning from the world of education to the world of work, there's a lot written about. Hey, this is how you prepare a resume. This is how you interview, and so forth and so on. But there's really very little out there with regard to the transition to the world of work and once you get there and the human relations issues and the things that you're going to run across, uh, politics and so forth. And so um, we just, I just decided that that would be an, an interesting topic with a, with a large audience. And, and uh, I've, I've gotten some good reviews. The, the, uh, the, uh, the people that are colleagues with me and age appropriate they, they think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor and young people should read it. And, uh, you know, certainly when, when I was young, um, after all those years of education and having parents and teachers tell me what to do, um, I was kind of sort of done with that. And uh, so when my dad tried to help me, it's like, don't worry, dad, I got this. And uh, so this is the book that says, hey, open yourself up and uh, be receptive to new ideas. And you, you don't have to take them, but at least listen to them. That's what the book is all about. And that's a great segue <clears throat> for us to start talking about mentorship. Um so for those listening who want to connect with a mentor within their organization, so one, one way that I like to talk about mentorship or sponsorship is having a personal board of directors, right? So <clears throat> when you're looking to add um, or find somebody within your organization who can be a mentor to you, where do you start? How do you select that person? And let's say you're sort of new to a, a job or new to a role. How do you even start? Feels a little clunky, maybe a little awkward. What's the best way? Well, um, golly, I, I'd really like to back up a little bit. I, and I want to get to that question because it's an important question. But what I'd like to get with, start with before I get there is just to talk about what is a mentor? Um, I and mean, we all kind of sort of know what a mentor is. And a mentor is an experienced um, and trusted advisor. Okay. Um, but what are the things that 
what are they going to advise you on? What do you need help with? You know, you already know that debits go to the left and you know about financial statements and so forth. What what are they going to help you with? So let me just give you a list of things that you might bring to them and say, hey, I need help. Um, so this is a small list, but some of the things they may come to you on is say, hey, um, hey, mentor, I, I've got an extremely difficult boss or subordinate. Hey, I've, I've got a three-week, three-day weekend planned vacation, and the boss asked me to work the weekend to make a deadline. What do you do? Uh, how do you handle a new subordinate who may have 20 years' experience to your six months? Um, hey, why didn't you get the promotion? Uh, and what do you do to get it next time? What are the things you should be doing that you're not, and what are you doing that you should not be doing? How do you motivate your team? How, how do you handle an ethical issue? Maybe the boss asks you to post an accounting entry that is not exactly uh, accurate, but he says, it's good for the team. Um, how do you handle the unreasonable customer? How do you deal with coworkers who don't follow the rules and create more work and unco- unhappy customers? So these are the, some of the things that, that you might address um, uh, or ask of your mentor. Your mentor, on the other hand, in addition to answering these questions that you bring to him or her, your mentor may, after getting to know you, say, hey, I've got some own, my own things that I'd like to discuss with you based on what I'm seeing in you. Or, hey, let me just tell you some things that I learned about in, in, in uh, the, the world of work. Um, so, with that in mind, these are the types of relationships and issues that can be discussed with a mentor. As to how do you find a mentor, I think there are kind of sort of three areas here. One is they're assigned. Um, number two, you go out and find your own mentor. And as Olivia mentioned, uh, you work for a big corporation and someone um, you, you get paired up with someone in the organization to, to mentor you. Um, but in the area of assigned mentors, you you may be this may not happen to you but it may happen to other folks maybe you're a young family member and you're going to run the business at some point in time and dad mom says my kid is a little young a little immature he needs some mentoring he's not going to take it from me so i need to find another family member maybe a paid mentor um maybe you join a firm and you're deemed um to be on the fast track so they assign you a mentor or maybe someone in the FEI teams up with your organization and assigns you a mentor or maybe it's a parent or family member um, but for the most of us most of the people we, we don't have a mentor assigned um, that's the rest of us so we got to find a mentor so um, let me talk about just finding a mentor in general and then maybe in the bigger corporation. How's that sound? Does that work? That's great. Okay. So um, here are the steps that I I identified to find a mentor. And um, use them as a guidelines. Um, You may have your own steps or modify them, whatever. But these are just some guidelines um, to help you along the way. You know, you may have already someone that you can go to and ask a question of. And uh, that person is going to give you good advice. Um, And uh, if you have a second question or a third, they're always going to be there for you. Um, They may not have the title of mentor, but they're there for you. 
and that may be all you need. But if you want something specific and you want a mentor per se, uh, this, here are the steps that I would follow to find a mentor. Um, first off, what you need to do is develop relationships. You, you've got some relationships. You need to continue developing those. You need to develop new relationships. How do you do that? Well, there are going to be lots of network opportunities for you. Maybe there's going to be a company gathering. Maybe there's going to be an industry gathering, um, church group, social settings, all kinds of gatherings. And the people that are going to be there, they're going to have contacts and those people are going to have contacts. So you can, through one person to another, you can find the person that you need to find. When I was young and go into these networking sessions, I found it very difficult to talk to people that I didn't know. So here I am going to these network sessions. There are 50 to 100 people there, and I'm with my buddies. What do you think we do? The buddies, we all stick together. We don't branch out. Maybe one guy or gal branches out, but most of us don't. So this is your opportunity to go out, and it's not easy. It's not easy when you're starting, but it gets easier as you as you go along. I can tell you that uh, when you're at these sessions, these older folks, the experienced folks, they're looking for a way to engage in you, the younger folks. So you just have to make yourself available. Don't stay locked in your little group together. Go talk to these people. And how do you do that? Well, hey, my name's Alan Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm in public accounting. I've been there six months. Stop right there. Stop. Don't say another word. Listen. Listen to them. They may tell you about themselves. They may ask you about yourself. But uh, you need to do some listening, and uh, you need to make it comfortable. And to make it comfortable, just relax, chill out, be cool. Um, maybe you're interested, if you, if you want to engage them, you're interested in other career areas related to your area of study. Well, what's your area of study? Well, it's accounting. Well, there are lots of areas of accounting. I mean, you could be in public accounting. You could be in industry accounting. Uh, within industries, it could be retail, restaurant, manufacturing, banking, insurance, on and on and on. And within those things, you could be an internal auditor. You could be accounting manager, controller, posting the numbers. You could be um, someone in finance that's taking the numbers that accounting produces. The point is, as you, as you talk to people in, in, that are in various areas of accounting, you're going to learn about their areas. And the reason you want to do that is because maybe maybe you're happy where you are for now. Maybe you're going to be happy for the next 30 or 40 years. But maybe two or three, four years down the road, you decide, this isn't what I want to do. I want to find what really makes me happy. Maybe it's mergers and acquisitions in a small company, mergers and acquisitions in a big company, roll-up firms, whatever. But this is your opportunity to meet people. And as you're meeting these people, you're not there to find a mentor that night. You're there to develop the relationship. And so you want to meet these people, get a card, get a phone number. And uh, at the next gathering, it's going to be so much easier to go up and talk to that individual or those two or three people because you've already met them. Expand it and go meet other people. After your second meeting, you might want to call one of them up and say, hey, um, you know, I I'm new in the workplace and I've got this work-related issue. Would you mind talking to me about it? Maybe helping me give some direction. 
and I'm sure they will. And at that point, um, you can take that, their advice and hopefully it works. And afterwards, you call them back and say, hey, thanks for the advice. I used it and it, it worked. Really appreciate that. And um, there may be another situation where you have another issue you want to talk to them about. You call them up. Hey, thanks for the advice you gave me last time. Good stuff. Um, I got another issue. Do you have time to talk? Well, I'm, I'm busy right now. Can we talk tomorrow afternoon or why don't we meet for a lunch or, or whatever? So you get together. If that works out real well, you are on your way to finding a mentor. And I would suggest at that point, at that point, you call them up and, hey, let's get together for lunch. Let's get together for drinks. That's your meeting where you have no agenda and uh, you let them talk. Um, you let them talk about um, war stories that they've experienced at work, um, <clears throat> successes, failures, disappointments, confrontations with bosses, uh, opportunities seized or missed, lessons learned, things they would do differently. This is their opportunity to talk. And you will gather things from them that, that is well, certainly very interesting and maybe that you can use. If after this meeting that goes well and you're comfortable with it, um, you might want to suggest another meeting and maybe one after that. And maybe you'll be on the point where you're meeting monthly and quarterly. And at that point, if you're doing that, that person is your mentor. You, they're still informal, but you may say, hey, I, are you my mentor? We're, we're a mentor mentee and they may be just absolutely honored but the thing you want to avoid is asking someone that you just met to be your mentor it's like a relationship you don't want to say i love you before the time is right and the other person's not ready for that this is the same type of commitment you, you the timing has to be right and you have to trust yourself to know when the timing is right so that's I'm, all such great advice <clears throat> What so, I'm hearing you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Alan. I, I really don't have much to add about working for a large organization, but there are mentors out there for you. Maybe mm -hmm. the organization will pair you up. Maybe you can find your own. But that's a, that's a great opportunity. And it's really going to work the same way I just described. <clears throat> so what I heard you say is keep it concise. Let the mentor, the potential mentor, um, talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. Don't come on too strong. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing that I heard you say, which is something that I, I've been hearing um, in other conversations, is to be specific about your role and your interests. And this is something that we talked about on the last power skills session about landing the job. And so it's, it's very closely linked. Um, the, the woman that I interviewed, Elisa Gelbard, she said that if you're not specific about, you know, what interests you, then you're not going to come to mind for people. So if you're very specific about what interests you, what you're looking for, um, and, and you're not, you're not vague, you know, instead of saying like, oh, I'm looking for a position in accounting. Um, but to be very specific, like you said, about <clears throat> maybe you're interested in M&A or, or what, ha what have you, that if you're specific about that, mentors or just people in your circle, when they hear about opportunities, they will think of you because they will associate you with something specific. 
And so I thought that was really great advice. And that's something that I'm hearing you say as well. And it's really hard to know what you're interested in unless you go talk to people and hear what they do and see the excitement in their face about what it is they do. And and you can see people that are excited about others, about what they do. And you can see people that are just trying to get through the day. You notice the difference. That's so true. So we talked about some of the things that you would look for in a mentor and kind of how to start that relationship. What about things that are what you might call like a mentor red flag? So you've already gotten to the point where you're, you've arranged to meet um, and <clears throat> you're kind of starting the relationship. What are some things that should be a red flag to you? Um, somebody who's not a great match for you personally as a mentor. Okay. You, you want someone that's upwardly mobile, that exhibits leadership skills the time that you spend together is comfortable and productive. You have that click factor. It just fits. It feels good. You don't want to force it. You're looking for that been there, done that type of person. What you don't want is someone that's angry and unhappy with their job, um, that's complaining all the time about everything that's going on. I mean, there's plenty of that in the world at every workplace. Stay away from that. That's not what you're looking for. Also, um, I imagine that most folks in this group are um, in public accounting, an awful lot are. That's how you start your career. Um, but everyone else in accounting that's not in public accounting has probably come from public accounting. So if, you, if that's if that, regardless of where you are, regardless of where they are, they have that public accounting experience and they can help you. Great point. Let's talk about reverse mentorship. So for those who don't know, what does reverse mentorship mean and how can it help you as the mentee kind of turned mentor? Okay. Um, I believe there are two types of um, reverse mentoring. Um, The first primarily enables a leaders in senior position to put together leaders or senior people with junior people and ask them for help, mostly in two areas. One is digital help, um, you know, systems that they can use to help productivity. And the other thing that they're looking for is um, uh, they're looking for cultural change, uh, ways that they can improve their diversity. You may not have any control over this, but it's really important for the men, men, the the senior person that you're going to mentor. It's really important that they be engaged and listened to in what you're saying. If they have no interest, it's, it's really no help to anyone, but um, you know, it's just one of those things that you have no control over. Hopefully you get someone that's interested, but you have no control over that. As far as the junior person, this is a great opportunity to sit in front of a senior person and give your input. That's what they're asking for. You get to do that and and, uh, prove your leadership skills as well as enhance your leadership skills. There's another type of reverse mentoring. Let's say that you have a mentor. It's not something where the corporation has put together, but you have a mentor and you have an opportunity uh, to help that, that person. Maybe it's the same type of issue where you can provide them with digital help. Now, they may not be interested in um, 
the how to, how to work a spreadsheet or so forth and so on. But they may be interested in that, hey, there's an application that's available out there and that they can take that idea of the application or the specific use of Excel back to their team and say, hey, this this is available. It will help improve productivity. Why don't you check into that so that they can plant a seed in their staff? The other thing that's maybe possible is that uh, your mentor may ask about their own interpersonal skills. And if they do, this is their opportunity to be truthful and honest, but you know you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to cut deep. Um, got to be very constructive. Um, if they have interpersonal issues and they don't ask about them, I wouldn't volunteer. Yeah, I think that's very wise. <laughs> um, no, that's a great answer. For those who have a mentor or, or let's say a role model, um, so the, the relationship has been established. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, how can you, as the mentee, kind of strengthen and deepen that relationship so that it lasts, you know, for years to come? Well, I think um, it, it, it's very similar to a relationship that people have. Uh, a romantic relationship in that someone told me once, you've got to keep the relationship fresh. Treat it like a startup. You know, don't, don't, uh, just don't expect someone to just be there all the time for you. And um, you've got to give and take. And it's, it's just like any other relationship. Treat it like a startup. I like that. And listen, <clears throat> listen to your your mentor mm-hmm. and don't interrupt like I just did. <laughs> I, I'm guilty of it, too. Um, the so coming sort of from these covid times where we've been a lot of us have been remote and haven't been able to go to these like a networking um, function that you mentioned, if if we're if we're relying on doing this digitally. Is LinkedIn the best tool to connect with people uh, if, if, if those in-person um, opportunities aren't there? And, and if so, talk about what a mentor outreach message might look like. Boy, for me being a an old guy and technology is challenging to me. That's, that's a little bit difficult thing for me to do. Uh, I would say that hopefully that COVID is on its way out, but today in the paper we read, maybe not. Um, so um, I, I think it's, it's important to meet with people in person. And uh, I think we're all getting worn out with, um, with uh, technology and Zoom meetings. Um, Toward that end, if you find a, a mentor that you do want to meet with, you don't want to find someone that's a geographical undesirable and it takes you an hour, an hour and a half to get to them because that's just not going to work out. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one th- thing that's 
nice about, you know, using a LinkedIn or another platform is that you can connect with people that you might not be able to, you know, you and I, for instance, we would not be able to sit down easily and have this conversation. So obviously that's a silver lining, but, um, but yeah, I agree in person is, is just different and it's, uh, You know, everyone's communication style is different. So if you're joining the workplace and you're comfortable with texting, well, wait a minute. Email is the standard, the golden standard in in the world of work. And so if you're texting to an older person, they may not be comfortable with that. They may want an email. They may want a phone call. If you're texting to um, your one of your peers, that may be the way to go. So I think you need to find the type of communication that, that works between the generations. Right. What are some things that we should avoid doing or saying when it comes to our mentor? So what would be inappropriate either early on or later? Obviously, it depends on the relationship and, and you know, the nature of the relationship. But let's say a, let's say somebody um, who works in your same company. What are the what are the don'ts? Well, I don't think you want to badmouth your boss or anybody that you work with. You want to be positive. You want to be realistic. Uh, I remember a situation where I was interviewing a young guy. He is an entry-level position. He was graduating from college, and uh, he had learned a lot of great stuff in college, and he was ready to make those executive decisions. And on two or three or four cases, he kept referring to all these executive decisions he had the ability to make. And I kept telling him, well, that's kind of sort of a C-suite. This is an ex entry-level position so you know so it it, it was just a a really difficult conversation um we we just could not get on the same page um also along those lines i've seen situations where people come out of college and you know they want to show off they want to show off what they've learned and and so forth and uh they're in the room with experts, people that have been doing what they're doing for 15 or 20 years, and they've been there for 30 minutes. You know, if that's if that's who you are and where you are, you, you can't be an expert in that situation. And if you try to be, it's not going to play well with the experts that have been doing it for 20 years. So sit back, listen, learn. And when you become an expert in what it is you're doing, that's the time to make a recommendation. But but but, you know, take it slow. And I know we all want to show off, we all want to do well and show our knowledge, but, you know, timing is everything. And that's not the time and place after you've been in a position for 30 minutes or whatever, you know, to tell the big people that have been there 20 years how they need to be doing it. That's a great uh, don't. And, and that that's an, also a great segue to a question that I wanted to ask you, which are your your biggest do's and don'ts for the first few weeks or months at a new company? Okay. So maybe we'll start. Let's start with the do's. Let's start with the positive. OK, um, I've got a long list of things and they're not in any particular order. So let me go find the do's. Uh, do your best. That's OK. You can share it any way you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> do your best, no matter how menial the task. There are going to be some menial tasks, but do your best. In a competitive world we live, strive to be outstanding and enthusiastic about all assignments. Um, do ensure that you have a positive relationship with your boss. Nothing outside your perfor- work performance, attitude, 
and capacity to learn is more important. Having a strong and positive relationship with your coworkers is a close second. Do say goodnight to your coworkers and supervisors. Don't just get up and leave. Ask your supervisor if he or she needs anything before you leave. Um, the, don't criticize or make fun of your colleagues because it will probably get back to them and damage uh, your influence. Work hard. Work smart. Um, people who don't work hard may think that the other guy is just lucky, and that's how they're getting ahead. Maybe luck plays a part of it, but hard work is more likely the cause. The harder you pull, the easier it will come. Um, do stay positive. Stay away from those who complain. Do bring a notepad and pen to meetings and be a couple minutes early. Do identify those workers moving up in the organization and try to understand why they have succeeded. Always be on the watch for examples of success. You're seeking and learn from them. You know, when I first started work and I noticed people getting ahead, that was one of the most difficult things to understand why they were getting ahead and others weren't and so forth. And it became easier over time, but that's something that you should, should look at. People that are getting ahead and those that aren't, and what are the differences and what do I need to change so that I can be in that group? Oh, one last thing. Check and double check your work to make sure it is free of errors. So here's the thing. You know, um, a lot of times you can put together a spreadsheet and at the end of the spreadsheet, there's a conclusion. And um, you got to give that conclusion a smell test. Does it look right? Smell test. Does it does it make sense? And it may be difficult for you to do if you're brand new to the work world, but every year it's going to get easier and easier. So if you prepare one of these worksheets and it's an analysis of some sort and you give it to your boss and it's got an error in it, hopefully your boss will identify it and it'll be a learning experience for you too and you correct it and go on your way. The problem is if your boss doesn't catch it and it goes to your big boss, then you've got a problem. You've got a real problem because these people are up there, two or three or four layers up there, and they're relying on your work. And you've just shown them that they can't rely on your work. Your work has to be error-free. And it may just be a typo or something really simple or just non-issue. But sometimes, a lot of times, these people at the top will just throw out the entire analysis because it's got one small mistake. So being error-free is very important. Those are the do's. <laughs> it's important in my line of work as well. Really all of our all of our work. It's it's very important to double check. And it's yep. it's sometimes tempting to just, you know, be in a rush and I'm very guilty of that. It comes to writing emails or writing mm -hmm. any sort of narrative. And uh, I try to read every single email, every single text before it goes out. If it has an error in it, I change it. I read it again. If it still has an error, I read it again. I read it until it has no errors, and it still has errors when it goes out. So it's, it's just something that's it's, it's really important but hard to do. And I know that the more you read something, the harder it is to find an error. So sometimes you just have to put it down and come back to it 10 minutes later. I think you touched on a couple of the don'ts. Were there other don'ts that you wanted to share? I got some don'ts. So 
Don't get into an intimate relationship at work. It almost always leads to disaster. Um, it can be hard to abide by, but personal friendships and relationships should only exist outside of work. And I, I've seen this before, and uh, I had a boss early on that kind of sort of warned me about this thing. And he says, Alan, do you want to have a career or do you want to have fun? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, if you work late, do not come in late thinking that the two balance out. Don't call in sick when you're not sick. If you work on Saturday, don't assume that you can take off Monday. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, here's one. This is a small thing, but it's kind of fun. Don't don't use throwaway lines on the phone or email, as they are unnecessary, and do not project a prof- professional image. So, for example, give us an example. Yeah, here's a couple of examples, and I, yeah, I had people that did this all the time, and it was just really difficult to get them to change. But when you close out an email. You don't need to say, let me know if you have any questions. You don't need to say that. The recipient knows where to ask the question. It's just a throwaway line. When answering your phone, answer with your name versus, uh, this is Alan Oppenheimer, may may I help you? It just kind of sort of, it doesn't project that professional image. It projects more of a clerical. So get rid of those throwaway lines. Um. Don't ignore your company's policy on cell phones, and especially don't check your phone during meetings. Don't drink and drive. A DWI may keep you from getting your next job. Um, Here's another kind of sort of along those lines of emails and phones. This is kind of sort of a pet peeve of mine, maybe no big deal, but don't say no problem. Say you're welcome, my pleasure happy to do it. The problem is a negative word while other choices are more clearly convey a positive attitude. I like that one. I I tend to say no problem uh, or write it. And then I try to catch myself and erase it and come up with something better because you're right. It's, it's sort of like you're telling the person, Oh, you didn't inconvenience me. And you, yeah. you don't need to say it that way. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's one, one of those generational things. We all do mm-hmm. it and the, the younger people do it more and it's, it's okay, but it may inter- irritate some of the folks that are a little bit older. It may, it may not. It's just something to think about. You don't have to mm-hmm. follow that if you don't like that mm-hmm. or you think it's silly. One of the things that um, you talk about, it, well, the, <clears throat> the, the chapter about mentorship, uh, the name of the chapter, chapter is Do You Need a Mentor? So uh, for those who haven't yet read the book, is there, is there anyone in, you know, that you can think of who, who does not need a mentor? No, everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs a go-to person at, at some point in time. Um, I'll tell you one favorite mentoring story. Hopefully, I'll make it quick. But um, there was a, a fellow in Dallas, and he owned an automobile dealership. 
actually his father owned it back in the day. There were three Cadillac dealerships in Dallas, and his family Cadillac dealership was the bottom of the barrel, the worst of the worst. And so Carl, Carl Sewell was coming of age, and he was getting ready to go into the business. I guess he had a, a sense that his dad was not going to be the best mentor for him. So he went looking for a mentor. He called a lot of people looking for all the Dallas business leaders. and But he really focused on this fellow by the name of Stanley Marcus. Stanley Marcus was the co-founder of Neiman Marcus. And Carl Sewell felt that there was a connection between providing exceptional customer service for high-quality clothes and exceptional service for uh, high-end automobiles, and he he uh, so he went after Stanley Marcus. Stanley was in the process of retiring and doing some contract work, and he called him over and over and again and talked to him, talked to his assistant. And at one point, Stanley says, um, "Son, you you can't afford me." And so he thought that was the end, but he kept calling, and he was able to set up a lunch. So they had lunch, and it went very well, and uh, there was a connection between the two. And they had lunch after that once a month for 15 years. And Carl now is on track to – he is one of the most respected automobile dealerships in the country. He's written a book that uh, it's a bestseller for people that want to provide customer service. It's called Customer for Life, and he is on track to own – 50 automobile dealerships in the country, 50. So, I mean, he hit gold and uh, he's he's doing great. Stanley, what did he get out of the deal? You know, he got someone to listen to all his stories. And then Carl would take these stories and say, well, how do I apply this to automobile business? So it was a win-win for both of them. It's a two-way street in this relationship. <laughs> That's great. One of the other things that I highlighted in your book, which I have, by the way, it's right here. So uh, one of the chapters is trade up to bigger problems. And you said, if you want to move up in your organization, trade your smaller problems for bigger ones. So explain what that what you meant by that in, in this chapter. Well, you know, I guess it's, it's kind of sort of implied that the people that are at the top of the pyramid, they have a lot more responsibility, certainly, and they have a lot of problems. You know, a lot of us that are new to the workplace and there are you know, three or four or five layers between us and that top person, we're just like, what do they do all day? You know, we're, we're down here doing all the work. Um, but no, they have lots of problems. They have lots of responsibilities you can't even imagine. And so if you, if you in the workplace, and you want to move up, you want to trade up your smaller problems, maybe get someone else to work on your smaller problems, but always be available to, to work on the bigger problems and the smaller problems will take care of yourself themselves. Maybe your boss is like, I need you over here to help me with this. Let me get someone to, to work on some of this other stuff. But trading up to the, to the bigger problems is, is the way to go. There was one lady um, that I knew that uh, worked in a, a, a small distribution center and the warehouse was just an absolute mess. And she just decided to take it on her own to organize the thing. And she was recognized for that. And she was made the warehouse manager. And later she started her own business and was very successful. Um, 
But, you know, there are a lot of little things that you can, you can do. I mean, little things that will get you noticed. You know, you know envision yourself as if, like, maybe you're the owner of the company. How many times have you walked down the aisle or seen other people walk down the aisle and there's trash in the aisle and you just walk past it? You know, someone that's maybe the, the very top of the organization will bend down and pick that that trash up. You know, it's a, it's a tiny thing, but it will get you noticed like you just can't believe. Same thing in the kitchen. You know, if the, if the coffee pot's empty, fill it up. Make a new pot. If the coffee, if the kitchen is maybe a little bit dirty, leave it better than when you found it. These are tiny, tiny things that will get you noticed like you just can't believe. Yeah, it's 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 very good advice. And it sort of shows that you're a team player, uh, that you're a, a nice person. And and those are obviously, you know, uh, qualities that <clears throat> can can make you be somebody who looks like a potential leader, right? And mm-hmm. and so you're kind of exhibiting those qualities uh, by doing small things, which is very helpful for you. Walking down the hall, uh, you know, you, you see people, you run into people, run past them, and hey, how are you? Uh, fine, I'm good. It's Monday, and uh, so that's. You, pretty much what an awful lot of people do. But I had a boss, whenever I would pass him in the hall, hey, how are you? He'd just say, wonderful. Because you can't say wonderful with your head down and in a, you know, kind of a sad, you can't do that. You have to sound positive. You look positive. And it, and I started doing that and it just, it made a difference. Yeah, you do mention that a lot in the book about smiling and having a positive disposition. And I I agree with you. I think even if you're not feeling it on a certain day, just by saying something along those lines, I'm feeling great. I'm doing well. I mean, I'm not saying you should lie, but there is a, a you know, there's a there's a kind of fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just saying it out loud uh, can sort of make it true. Uh, and, and it's important too to, uh, be kind of keep things in perspective. It's easy to complain about work. I think it's, it's a very easy trap to fall into and you can sort of get into a negative cycle and, you know, you have to put things into perspective and if the job is truly, or the company is truly wrong for you, then you need to make a change. And if it's not truly wrong for you and you're just letting off steam, then you have to start to consider that maybe you're making it worse by kind of talking about it and, and leaning into the things that aren't so great. Um, because hopefully there are things that are making it so great that are counterbalancing it and, and you have to shift your focus to those. And if there aren't mm-hmm. those things, then it's time to jump ship. Yeah. Would you agree? Absolutely. Good, good comments. Hey, can I take a hard left here and talk about something? Of course. Um, I wanted to talk about it. There's a chapter called Question. And um, when I was in college, uh, the professor stood in front of the group and he says to the class, when you get your job and you're in the world, world of work, is it going to be harder for you to do the work that you've assigned or get the data necessary to do the work? Well, most of us got the, the question wrong. 
And uh, the, the problem is getting the relevant data that you need to do the work. And um, in school, for all these years, the professor says, here's the data, work the problem. And so it's hard to make that shift. And I'm going to give you one, two, or three examples, depending on how much time you say I can talk about this. But one example took place in World War II. Um, the planes were being shot down. And so they called these engineers out to the airfield and they said, you got to do something to prevent all these planes from being shot down. So the engineers looked at all the planes and they were just shot up in the fuselage. So they put all this steel paneling on the fuselage and they thought that they had fixed it. The planes went up in the air. They were sluggish and more planes got shot down than ever before. What went wrong? What went wrong was they selected the wrong data to sample. They sampled the planes that had made it back to the airfield. They should have sampled the ones that were in the ditch, you know, out in the field somewhere. And they would have found that the engines were shot out and the pilots were being shot. And that's where they should have put the protective paneling on there. I was in a situation where um, I was doing one of these common area maintenance audits where I mentioned, and uh, two weeks before the audit, we sent the request out to the mall management. This is what we need. Boom, 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 boom. And when we got out there, only half the information was available. And our, our time frame was do the audit, get on the plane, do the next audit, and everything was booked, plane tickets for, you know, six weeks out. So um, we went to the mall manager and the controller and said, hey, where's our information and he says hey fellas i'm new to the job and the president gave me a big assignment and i didn't have time to get the information you requested sorry fellas that's it and so we're like oh my god what are we going to do so we went back to our little cube and called our bosses that this is what's going on and guess what he was not at all sympathetic he says you guys figure it out and finish the audit and get back here by friday so we just kind of looked at each other. What are we going to do? Well, we did figure it out, and we found someone at the corporate office that worked with mall management. He was the liaison, and he was able to put pressure on this guy, and he got us the information. It came late. We worked a lot of nights, but we finished the audit, and it, and it got done. But you're responsible for getting the information. You can't say that it's you can't get it. And um, a lot of times you're, you're working with a variety of systems to get it. And maybe you're working with the warehouse system, the accounting system, operations, and so forth. And, whoa, golly, I, I'm not familiar with all these systems. And maybe you pull the wrong data inadvertently. Maybe you pull budget data instead of actual data. Maybe you pull data that's not comparable. So there are all kinds of landmines that you can fall into. And when you do that and you do your analysis, you need to be able to look at it and give it that smell test and say, oh, this doesn't make sense. Or I feel good about it. But it's, it's incumbent upon you to get the right relevant data and it'd be accurate so that when you give it to your boss, he can bless it. And then it goes to the big boss and he doesn't have to worry that, well, maybe there's something wrong. And as you mentioned, that is a big shift when you're going from school, a school environment to a work environment. Mm -hmm. And it's one that a lot of people probably don't think, think to prepare themselves for. And like you said, you know, it, it's not only a matter of getting the data yourself. Typically, you even in my role, you have to rely on at least one, if not several other people to get the information that you need which can be challenging. 
it can be challenging. They're busy too. And right. maybe the, the data is not going to reflect well on them. And if it doesn't reflect well on them, maybe they don't get you the right data. Right. <clears throat> no, it's a great point. And, and we've truly only scratched the surface of the book, Alan, but were there other, cause I'm glad that you brought that section up. Were there other sections that you wanted to um, get into, you know, while we have, I think we have about five minutes left. Okay. Um, In five minutes. Yeah. Um, I know most of you, well, maybe half of you have a job and the other half are going to have a job pretty soon. Um, Hopefully it's a job that you really like and you're happy with. But my book talks about two or three chapters and getting the right job for you, the right job that suits your your expertise and what you're strong in, your personality, your technical skills, and what you enjoy doing. It's, it's important to get the right job soon. You don't want to wait 40 years and then go, oh, my gosh, I should have whatever. You want to get it now. I had a buddy who was a, everybody in his family was a doctor, and he went to school and uh, became a medical doctor and uh, decided that he didn't like it. So he was he was a general practitioner and people came in, well, I've got this problem. And he asked them questions and they wouldn't be truthful. Well, he couldn't treat their problems if they're not giving him truthful answers. <clears throat> Frustrated and t- terribly. So he decided, <clears throat> I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to become a dermatologist. So when someone comes in and they've got a rash, I can look at that and fix it. I won't have to talk to the patient. So he did that three or four more years of schooling, became a dermatologist and decided, oh my gosh, this is boring. So he went back to school one more time and became a radiologist and fell in love with it because this was an area where he could look at the charts and talk to the doctors, look at the charts, talk to the doctors, didn't have to talk to the patients. He absolutely loved it. Took him three tries. And you may not get it right on the first time, but you want to get it right as soon as possible. Don't wait till 40 years afterwards and go, oh, my gosh, I would have, could have, should have. That is such a great story to, to think of. And, and also kind of a nice lesson that even if you don't get it right <clears throat> there, you can always have another shot and right. you can always kind of reinvent yourself. I know that you're big um, into continuous learning and, and lifelong learning, uh, which which kind of connects there, too. So uh, I, that's a great story. And uh, that's all the time that we have. Thank you, Alan. This has been very, very helpful. And uh, you you gave some very, very useful advice. And I love that about these sessions um, because they always have potential to change somebody's career, to improve somebody's life. And that's what we're, we're here to do. So thank you so thank much you. for your time. Enjoyed it. <laughs>